You are listening to the Patriot Pastors Podcast, where we talk about today's issues from a pastor's perspective, as well as calling America back to the faith of our fathers. Without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. We ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Here's your host, Wade Lentz and Harold Smith. Hello and welcome to the Patriot Pastors Podcast. I am your host, Harold Smith, joined with my good friend, Wade Lentz. And as you can tell by my dress, it's not Halloween. It's (laughs) deer season. This is my standard attire outside of Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. It's usually a camouflage shirt and an orange hat. And Wade, on the other hand, looked like uh, he was doing woodwork and house repair when I (laughs) talked to him earlier. Uh, is the ship still afloat, Wade? I I tear up more than I fix. I promise you that. Yeah. What looks to be easy for most people is not easy for me. Yeah. So my poor wife, uh, when you sent, when you sent me a picture of what you were doing, working on your wood floor, I was like, Nope, I wouldn't touch that. There's no way (laughs) I should not have, but I, I did. I've, I've been deer hunting unsuccessfully. And I, if I would have said I've been coyote hunting, then that would be good. I've killed a couple of coyotes, but I haven't seen any deer that I really wanted to put my last buck tag on. So it, I've just been, that's why they call it hunting and not killing. Mm-hmm. I've been sitting out there and just looking and, and, uh, I guess being a nature lover until the right one walks out and then <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna wake up the woods with a big bang Wade. We have been talking, uh, before the podcast and both of us agree that our country is really in the toilet and it ain't just our country. It is really generationally across the world, whether you're in Europe, uh, other countries, uh, you know, some of the communist countries, not so much because they're so regulated, but even in places like Russia, where there is communism. The current generation is just nothing like previous generations. I mean, in America, you cannot find anybody that wants to work. And I mean, really work. And if you can, good luck getting them to show up. And as soon as the government offers them, uh, you know, some kind of COVID incentive to stay home, they all take it and quit working. Uh, Our supply lines are in the toilet. Um, our, our military is in the toilet and and I'm Mm -hmm. pro military and I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just being honest. Yeah. We've got a guy dressed as a woman who's like the, I don't know, something over the Navy or whatever. I mean, what in the world is going on with this, with this generation that we've got? Mm -mm -mm. Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's called a major downgrade, major downgrade that we've seen, but you know, here's the thing. This has happened for, you know, generation after generation. When we look at scripturally, you have this, this major shift from generation to generation. And you, you know, you think, why is that? When you think about, let's say, uh, King Hezekiah, who yeah. in second Chronicles chapter 29, uh, the Bible says that he did that, which was right in the eyes of the Lord and which was a stark contrast from his father. King Ahaz, who was a ungodly king, a evil king that brought in pagan worship and led the children of Israel into sin, into idolatry. Uh, his father was not even allowed to be buried in the king's sepulcher. That's how evil he was. But come King Hezekiah, 
he did that which was right in his father or in the Lord's eyes. And he started out by uh, refurbishing the doors of the temple, by opening up the temple of the Lord, allowing the children of Israel to to worship the Lord. Um, and then he um, he tore down I- idols. Uh, it, it just talks about how he broke down the idols. And uh, I would have loved to seen that, yeah. you know, uh, to see that, you know, take place. These these uh, idols that were just used for pagan idolatry. Uh, he tore all of those up. He reinstituted the uh, the Passover, um, which they had not observed for several years. Mm-hmm. He brought that back to remind the children of Israel uh, that of what God had done for them how he redeemed them out of the land of Egypt. And so you look at King Hezekiah, you think, wow, praise the Lord. This guy is on fire for the Lord. But guess what? The next generation, his own son, Manasseh, did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And everything that his father put into place, he tore it down and uh, brought in pagan worship. You know, and um, it's crazy. It, the the entire Old Testament is that way. I mean, really, I'm, I'm currently reading through the book of Judges right now, and it's like uh, all the people that came in with Joshua died off, and then they just went in the toilet. It, mm-hmm. They enjoyed all this peace and prosperity. They had conquered the, the land. They had left off fighting and just decided to start farming. Yeah. And then God raises up the Amorites, the, Phil- the Philistines. Somebody comes along. And the Midianites and, and they get hauled off into captivity. They get plundered. God sends them a judge, you know, somebody to be a leader and, and rescue them. Mm-hmm. And it's like they enjoy prosperity. And then the next generation just gets soft and soft. And they're it's this vicious cycle. And I really think if we look at America today, the World War II generation is often called the greatest generation of Americans. I mean, um, they were men that really answered the call mm-hmm. and I would say prevented the whole world from falling to, to oh, right. I mean, the way Hitler was running roughshod across the world, uh, yeah. if America hadn't got involved in that war, uh, Hitler would have crushed the Russians and then turned around and eradicated England. And then it would just be a matter of time before they came across one sea or the other and invaded mm-hmm. North America and South America. And when that war went in, I mean, people just, they went to war, they went to battle, women left the homes and went to work. There was this, yeah. this big push to, you know, we've got to, we've got to ramp up for war. Mm-hmm. And there was just a great coming together of the country. Uh, Nazism was destroyed. And then it seems like we're in that cycle again, Wade. It's like those Baby boomers didn't want to, you know, have to, they didn't want their kids to experience what they had to experience. Everybody wanted something better and easier for their kids. And, you know, here we are 80 years later and look at what we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you know, that's really just the, the scope of human history. There's always been the ebb and flow of, of spiritual hot, spiritual flame, spiritual fire to spiritual coldness. You know, it wasn't very long after Luther died uh, that the Reformation in Germany hit a, hit rock bottom. So even something as great as Reformation that that Martin Luther, uh, you know, was maybe the uh, implementation of it 
something that great didn't last. Yeah. And, and you know, tis the season, I guess we could say, we look at the the pilgrims. Think about the pilgrims who landed, you know, in at Plymouth Rock in 1620. Sure. They this were. Is a, this is Thanksgiving week when you and I are yeah. this. So, I mean, there's nothing more fitting than to, than to take the pilgrims right now, because I know in kindergarten, I had to bring a brown paper bag to school and cut it out like either an Indian or we folded it up like a, a black pilgrim hat. Yeah. Uh, which I, at the time I couldn't tell much different from the pilgrim hat and the Abe Lincoln hat. So, um, but I mean, those were the days, man, those were the days. Yeah. That was, yeah. When was simple, but the, I don't think you could make an Indian vest now. I think no, you can't against the law and right. And pilgrims are probably the bad guys now, but <laughs> yeah. the point is, it's Thanksgiving week. Mm-hmm. We all are going to sit down and eat a turkey and probably a lot of turkey sandwiches thereafter. And we're going to think about that first Thanksgiving, you know, that we're quote unquote celebrating and as good as and as religious and devout as those guys were. It just didn't last, did it, Wade? No, it didn't. It you, didn't. you actually, you, you studied this. I mean, this is a topic that you've devoted some time on and really put some, some emphasis in And I want you to just share what, I mean, where were the pilgrims to start with religious wise mm-hmm. and what happened in their absence? Yeah. I could speak about two hours on it nonstop. Can you condense it, 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 it into really the high point? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's try to fit it in about 20, 25 minutes, but uh, yeah, the, the pilgrims uh, were in England. They were Puritans. Um, but these were separatists. Okay. So the, the church of England at that time had broken away from the Roman Catholic church. Great. Right. They did that. They broke away from it, but they had what they call a state church where, uh, the head of the church and state was the monarch, the king. Um, and, and in this case, at this time period, it was King James and, um, so the, 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 the separatists did not want to try to purify the church of England anymore because in their eyes, it was not ever going to get pure, uh, to the way that they thought the church should be scripturally. Uh, they did not want to have this, uh, hierarchy type effect of church leadership. They felt like every church should have its, make its own decisions and, uh, be autonomous and so forth. Um, but when they pushed back on that uh when they separated themselves from the church of england that brought upon them persecution they were fined there were jail time uh they were not able to worship the lord freely as they felt and so many of the separatists fled to the netherlands they went to holland for a while uh to try to make a a better life there where they could worship freely and they were allowed to do that. They were allowed to worship freely. Um, but the problem was the new culture they did not like, and they were having financial difficulty. They did not want to lose their English heritage. And they knew that if they stayed there, that their children would lose that English heritage. And uh, the Netherlands, Holland was a pretty liberal place. Um, and so they began to look for a new land. And of course, William Bradford among other uh, separatist uh, Puritans, began that journey along with many, many others. And finally, I'm I'm fast-forwarding here, get on the Mayflower. They wind up at Plymouth Rock, 
and establish a new colony there and where they find religious freedom. And uh, so a tremendous, you know, uh, example of, of piety, um, fervor, that they wanted to worship the Lord uh, to the degree that they felt like that they had to move, leave their family and leave their home right. so that they could worship the Lord according to what the scripture teaches, not what the state teaches um, yeah. and what the state dictates. Something that needs to be remembered here is they wanted religious freedom for themselves, but they didn't grant it to everyone. Puritans right. were not Baptists. Baptists believed in true religious liberty in that they allowed everyone to worship according to the dictates of their conscience. The Puritans, on the other hand, they kind of created their own. They didn't call mm-hmm. it a state church, but they they created their own hierarchy. And if you didn't agree with them on a lot of key cardinal doctrines, they whipped people for, for yeah. believing differently. They imprisoned people and fined people just the same way the Church of England did them. So Wade, they come here and and then what kind of people were they? Talk about how devout that the Puritans were, the these pilgrims uh in, in New England and in, in Massachusetts Bay Colony. Yes. It was some kind of idea of their level of devotion. Were they just casual church attenders came on Easter and Christmas? No. Very rigorous church attenders. Um they were uh very rigorous in family worship. That was a huge thing for Puritans and these separatists, these pilgrims who established the new colony in the new world. Um, and again, very pietistic people. They were uh, lovers of God, fears of, of the Lord. Um, and, and so you look at that and think, hey, that's great. Uh, just wait till the next generation comes. It'll be even greater. Yeah. Growing, up, not- in this, growing up in this Christian utopia where yeah. everything is right, it, it, this should be great. Yes. Yeah. Indians and pilgrims are getting along. I mean, what, <laughs> you know, what, what could go, uh, what could go wrong? But, uh, you know, honestly, the, the second generation pilgrims absolutely backslid. And a lot of people don't realize that is that we have this uh, mindset of, okay, pilgrims and their children. Uh, and, and as those children grew up, they just love the Lord too. living in the Late 1600s was a pleasant time. I wish I could have lived there, but really you wouldn't want it to because, believe it or not, the second generation pilgrims were spiritually cold, spiritually apathetic. They did not care for the things of God. Uh, one historian said it was just a time of religious decline. Mm. And um, one of the things was uh, Cotton Mathers, who was a a Puritan preacher, who was able to see that the time and he was living in and solve this spiritual decline. This is what he said in Boston in 1698. He said, what changes we have seen in point of religion. Certainly the power of godliness is now grievously decayed among us. As the prophet of old exclaimed in Joel chapter one, verse 12, hear this ye old man. Ye are ye old men and give ear ye inhabitants. Has this been in your days? And then Mather says, thus may I say, hear this ye old men that are the inhabitants of this town. Can't you remember that in your days, a prayerful, watchful, fruitful Christian and a well-governed family was more of a common sight than these days. Can't you remember that in your days, these abominable things 
did not show their heads that are barefaced among us. Here then is a petition to be made unto, unto our God. Lord, help us to remember whence we are fallen and to repent and do the first works. And so he, he was calling these people to repentance. He saw the great falling away from 1620 until now to nearly 1700. Um, also, church attendance was an all-time low. Yeah. Uh, and and you think about that, you think, wow, uh, how how great uh, the Christians must have been in the latter part of the 1600s. No, church attendance was declining at a rapid rate. Yeah. So fast was the rate of church attendance in decline that they instituted something called the halfway covenant. Right. Which was really a, pr- a pragmatic way of getting people to come to church which they didn't even have to uh, show any fruits of conversion. And uh, so it's just really remarkable. The things that we see today in pragmatism was something that was seen even in the old days of America. You know, the thing I take away from this period in history here, and we see this some today, today there's really kind of a revival in certain aspects of Christianity where there's a getting back to family worship, you know, having a, a family uh, worship service of God in your home on a regular daily and weekly basis. Uh, there's a big emphasis today on homeschooling or private schooling, taking serious the education of your children. There's a big emphasis on mothers coming home and, and not working a secular job. And the, the thing that I worry about is when I encounter these young people and they're, they're homeschooling their kids, their wives are working, they're growing a big garden, and they're like, see, we're doing it all right. We're going to take over this country. We're going to turn it all around. You can't just through pragmatism or methods or uh, techniques ensure that the next generation is going to grow up to be godly people. It has to come from God. Mm-hmm. God has yes. to do it. And, and Cotton Mathers in that quote you were talking about, he he's asking God to give them repentance. I'm thinking about Paul writing, you know, he says, peradventure, God grant them repentance. Right. Repentance is a grace of it God. Is. And you're not going to have godly children because you did these things. I'm not saying they're bad, and mm-hmm. I'm not trying to discourage anyone from doing all they can to raise godly children. But when you depend on your method and not on the Holy Spirit to convict your children, not on God to draw them to repentance, to bring them to faith in Christ, all of that, they may make a profession, they may look good, but I'm starting to see a generation of Christians that grew up in this movement, and as soon as they hit 18, 20, 21, they throw off the yoke of their childhood and they don't look anything like it. And I think mm-hmm. we can say this with the Duggars and a lot of people in that type of movement. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that they've forsaken Christianity for say for many of them. It's just, they've forsaken the rigors that their parents put forth. And I right. think when we look at the Puritans there in this time, there were still people going to church, but mm-hmm. they didn't go with the same zeal. They didn't exactly. go the same as their parents. It, yes. You just can't, you can't formulate a way to replace what God must do. Mm-hmm. And yes. um, yeah, so, one one writer, one historian did say the same thing. He said they were worshiping. Many of them did, 
but they were, uh, that scripture says they denied the power thereof. They had a form no, of godliness. I mean, a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Right, right. They yeah, had lost the joy and power yeah. of true worship, pure worship. Right. And so, yeah, by the end of the, uh, the, the, the 17th century in the late 1600s, drunkenness was a common thing among men. Mm. Um, family worship was but a distant memory. One historian noted, uh, my soul, what a, what a fall. And it didn't take long at all. Did it? No, no it doesn't. It, it didn't. Uh, I always think about, uh, there in Genesis where it says there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. Mm-hmm. He forgot what Joseph had done for Egypt by interpreting the dream and storing up seven years of plenty to get them through the seven years of famine. And in so doing enriched Egypt to become the wealthiest nation of its time and, mm-hmm. and take possession of all the land. And, and, and that Pharaoh was appreciative of Joseph and, and of the Hebrews. And then all of a sudden, all of that's forgotten few generations later, those Israelites who were their saving grace uh, a few, a few generations earlier are now their slaves making bricks for them. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and I mean, it can happen so fast. So yes. Fast. Yes. So it was during this, this time period of this spiritual decline that now the atmosphere is just ripe for, for the first great awakening. Yeah. Um, and which again, like you talked about, God, this is something that God did. Yeah. And when you think about that first great awakening, uh, you, you cannot talk about the first great awakening without talking about, um, Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, who were key figures into the, uh, America's great awakening and really two men who were two different styled preachers. Yeah. For really Whitfield was English. Yes. He, that's he right. Was- uh, George Whitfield crossed the Atlantic 13 times uh-huh. uh, in his lifetime. I mean, that's a, that's a phenomenal feat in of itself. Many sailors yes. can't say they did that. Right. But, but Whitfield growing up in England, uh, becoming a preacher there, going to school at Oxford mm-hmm. and then taking to out outdoor preaching. He, yeah. he wasn't allowed in any of the churches because of his emphasis on the, the need for the new birth. They, mm-hmm. The churches of England were, like you said, full of drunkenness. The yeah. Historians call what was happening in England the gin craze because gin was a cheap, hard liquor being brought in. And th- they said most Church of England ministers would stay drunk all week playing cards, drinking cheap gin. And mm. they would just come into the pulpit drunk, read a dull, boring lecture on theology there was no interest in the things of God. That's yeah. the backdrop in England that Whitfield comes out of. Mm. And then in America, you've got Edwards in the same dull, dead, spiritually lifeless era, mm-hmm. with the same fire, but in a drastically different manner. Yeah. Yeah. Edwards was more of a, of a theologian. He was meticulous with his uh, theology. Um, uh, he was, studied 13 hours a day. Wow. 13 hours a day. Now we, we, we've talked about this before you and I just privately about studying, uh, of a pastor versus being an actual shepherd. Um, Edwards might have went the other way and studied too much. Uh, 
Well, the churches weren't booming back then. I mean, they, he didn't have a lot of people, the shepherds, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, nevertheless, God used him. He preached his famous sermon centers in the hands of an angry God. And literally the Lord just opened up the heavens and blessed, uh, George Whitfield was an orator, tremendous orator. And like you said, he was an open air preacher. And he would at times preach to crowds of 25,000 people, um, which that's amazing. Of course, no technology of amplification in those days, just the human voice and outside, you know, uh, churches were built to amplify the voice. They would have sounding Mm -hmm. brass, uh, panels behind the preacher to carry his voice forward. Whitfield had a supernatural voice and a supernatural ability. And he would preach without notes. He he wouldn't be up giving long right. lectures that were real precise. He would be preaching in the language of the people. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he was such a phenomenon uh, that people would announce George Whitfield is preaching. And there's yeah. accounts of, of people like miles away seeing clouds of dust rising up in the air and wondering if a war or something had broke out. And it wasn't. It was just horses riding to the town to get there in time to hear George mm-hmm. Whitfield preach. Yeah. Yeah. What a change in the spiritual climate where people stayed drunk all the time. Exactly. Where families were dissolving, churches were empty, and now we've got dust clouds in cities because so many people are showing up to hear somebody right. stand outside and preach. Uh historian William Street estimates the number added to the churches has been estimated from 30 to 40,000 converts wow. during about a 20 year period. Wow. 30 to 40,000 converts, 150 churches in new England were planted and, and started during that time period. So, wow. Yeah. Uh, absolutely a tremendous spiritual revival. And you think, Hey, that's great. We're on this, you know, spiritual high, but guess what? What happens is this spiritual recession then. And, um, and I, I really think that the biggest reason why there was such a recession spiritually goes back to this philosophical mindset called, uh, enlightenment really started inf- infiltrating America during that time. Um, it, it, it infiltrated in the schools, the, uh, and by enlightenment, you mean people just getting a, an understanding, a scientific explanation of things. That um, enlightenment was a uh, uh, philosophy that uh, was built on the power of human reason as a means to understand the world. So humanism, uh, secularism, um, they did not like uh, a person who was grasped by this philosophy, did not like organized religion. They did not like any type of authority. Which, believe it or not, Enlightenment had a lot to do with the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. They wanted to do their own thing. So it's really interesting when you study that out, how the Enlightenment, which is anti, really anti-God, anti-Christian, um, infiltrated into the reasons why we wanted to write that Declaration of Independence, because Jefferson was greatly influenced by this Enlightenment philosophy because of his friend Thomas Paine was uh, wrote a book on it. And this book sold one million and a half uh, (laughs) copies. 
Yeah. So it infiltrated a lot of America during that time. It caught a lot of fire. It yeah, it ultimately went on to spark the French Revolution. Absolutely. Well. And Thomas yes. Paine went over there to participate in it. Yes, that is exactly right. And so really when the uh when the Americans got close to the French in the Revolutionary War, that's when it really started um because this enlightenment came out of the French. Yeah. Out, out of Europe. And uh, so when we made allies with France in the Revolutionary War, that brought in a lot of this philosophy that was really anti-God that infiltrated and put a lot of water on that spiritual fire, which yeah. is just like the devil. You know, he he sees something that's great that the Lord is doing, and he is going to counterattack that, and that's exactly what he did. Um, but very quickly, what we take away from this is this. We need to pray for revival. Yeah. We need revival. But what we've learned is this revivals don't last. No, they do not last. So no, um, they're what mankind wants to do is set it and forget it. That that was like yeah. a slogan on some late night sales show. Just set it and forget it. And mm -hmm. we want, uh, humans want to find some way to start a program and walk away and it run. But yeah. our own democracy in this country or republic, whatever you want to call it, however you want to structure our government, you've got to stay active in it or it's going to fall apart. If you mm -hmm. hand it over to a group of bureaucrats, they will ruin it. That's where we're at. Yeah. Right. Government needs a revival of true American values and ideas. But Americans as a whole need a revival of spiritual things. They need an awakening. From mm -hmm. God, that that's the yes. only way we're going to see any kind of turnaround. And if we do, we need to pray that it continues and continues and continues and and don't let up. That, that's mm -hmm. what happened to Israel when they entered the Promised Land. That's right? They were they were conquering, 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 and then they stopped. Mm -hmm. And then they got satisfied. We've we've got enough land. We've got and they didn't get all the land they were promised, and they didn't completely run out the inhabitants of the land. And then two generations later, they're being invaded by the people that God had commanded them to deal with. They didn't do it. Yes. And so we can't plan how we're going to maintain the revival. <laughs> what we've got to do is beg God to send it. Absolutely. And it's completely up to his prerogative. We can pray for it. We can prepare for it and never see it. Yes. But I think the fact that you and I are both burdened to see a revival uh, says something about uh, the spiritual condition, you know, like mm -hmm. Cotton Mathers was was calling for it, didn't get to see it. Yes, uh, maybe we call for it, and the next generation sees it. But right away, we need to exhort Americans to uh, ask God to send a true revival and turn around the direction mm -hmm. of our country. This generation, and yes, yeah. In seventeen ninety eight, a Baptist preacher saw the same thing a Puritan preacher did in 1698. And his name was Isaac Bacchus. Yeah. He saw the downgrade of what was a spiritual revival to now the spiritual recession recession. And he began to, uh, uh, call churches together to pray and to pray and to pray. And the Lord answered that prayer with another great awakening. And, uh, so may it, may it happen to our country. Once again, the Lord wills, uh, we certainly are in need of it. 
Um, I, I think our situation is even more desperate than, than what theirs were because they had at least had, um, a generation prior to them spiritually awakening. They had seen a national revival. We have not seen a national revival in several, several years, several generations, uh, 150 years anyways, at least. Yeah. yeah. Th- there was a great revival of religion during the American civil war, um, on both sides of the, of the, the conflict, there were, there was a deep interest in the things of God, but we didn't see that kind of a revival during the first world war. And we didn't see mm-hmm. it during the second world war. Right. And it's been a long time, but yes. this is what we do know. God can, if God wills, there's nothing yeah. that's too hard for God. No one's ever too far gone. No mm-hmm. nation so far lost that he can't redeem them and bring them back. And, yes. um, this is the verse I always go back to. You have not because you ask not. Mm-hmm. And if we see a need, shame on us for not taking that need to the Lord and spreading it out and asking God, this is where we, this is what we see we need, Lord, grant it. And I yeah. think, you know, God's ears are attentive to his people and mm-hmm. his people will begin to cry out and ask God, perhaps he'll hear us. As Paul said, perhaps he'll grant repentance. We just got Amen. a couple minutes left. Wait, I'll let you wrap it up. Any final thoughts? Yeah. Let, let me just share are. very quickly that, um, we know we do our podcast every other week. And so we're going to add a sermon. A month will look like this, a podcast episode, a sermon by me, another podcast episode. And then the last week of the month, your sermon. So yes. we wanted to fill each week with, uh, some material from our, our podcast, but two of those, uh, episodes are going to be preaching. Yeah. So we wanted to get the word of God out, uh, more. And, uh, so we pray so it's a blessing and, and a help to you and encouragement to you. Um, we do want to wish everyone a, a very happy Thanksgiving. We thank you so much for listening to us and we pray the Lord's blessings upon you.